I'd like you guys to open up to Matthew 24. And put your finger in Hebrews chapter 1. I got a lot I want to share with you guys this morning. But I feel like I just need to take a moment, Christian, just to lay down some foundation that's very important for us as believers. Okay? We absolutely believe that this is God's inspired word. This is the authority that speaks into our lives. It is what God has given to us. And the volume of this book is about who? It's all about Jesus, right? For the spirit of Je- or uh, the testimony of Jesus, we're told, is a spirit of prophecy. And I don't know if you guys know this or not, but this is the only religious book in the world that has fulfilled specific prophecy. The only one. In fact, about a quarter of your Bible, 27% of it, speaks into things that would take place in the future. In, a, in part, of all those prophecies the Bible speaks about today and what's just ahead of us more than any other prophecies that are given throughout the history of the world. And that's pretty exciting. And I don't know about you guys or not, but just because of prophecy, in Isaiah chapter 45, God actually says, there's no other God like me. Okay, I'm alone in God. I'm the one who's able to tell the future. I challenge all you other gods. If you're God, you tell the future. You can't. He's throwing a challenge out there. Okay, there are many that follow other books and other religions. We have Islam today, a billion Muslims in the world. Okay, they speak about end time stuff, but they don't have one fulfilled prophecy in the Quran. Not a one. And the little bit they got, you know where they got it from? Right here. Okay? <laughs> the reality is we can know that this is God's word because of prophecy. We can scientifically prove the Bible is supernatural because of that fact alone. We have the manuscripts. We have things dated back thousands of years before they took place and they were fulfilled to a T. People were named. Cities were named. What would happen? prophecies of the coming Messiah, God himself, what he would do to redeem mankind. It's pretty exciting. And I believe that we're living in a time, we know the God of this age is Satan. And he's having a heyday, and he knows his hours getting late. Because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Satan knows the word of God too. Okay, And he sees what's going down, and he's trying to take down as many with him as possible. So we're in a world today that's more rebellious to God, I think, than ever. Um, 
and there's going to be extreme uh, devastation that is going to come to planet Earth soon. But Jesus will return. He will set things straight. There will be a new heaven, new earth. That's exciting. Uh, if you care to look into the second coming of Christ in depth, a few months back, we did a few weeks specifically just on that. Those teachings are online. What I'd like to look at with you guys, uh, take a look with me in Hebrews chapter 1. And how did God speak? Well, through men of God who were moved by the Holy Spirit, we read the prophets. Our men have just finished the Old Testament on our Thursday morning studies. We've been the prophets for months. And it's been so neat because so much of what the prophets who lived thousands of years ago spoke pertaining to the coming Messiah of Jesus and what is actually going on right now, it's been fun. It's just been exciting. We find such hope. It's just like, yeah, God, you spoke this. You want us to know these things. Do you guys understand? God put this in his word because he wants us to know these things are going to come. Now, we have the prophets, we're told in verse 1 of Hebrews it says, God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past through the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by who? His son, Jesus, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds. Jesus made the worlds. He is God. Okay? We know God himself alone knows the future. He is outside of time. That's why he's able to speak into, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to step into the world. And it's amazing that he spoke in times past by the prophets. It is amazing. This book is amazing. 66 different books. It's not really one book. 40 different authors. There's no contradictions. They all prophesied the same thing. It all points to Jesus. You take... Another testament of Jesus Christ, maybe the Book of Mormon, and you try to put it in with these other 66 books, guess what? We have contradictions. We have problems because that's a false God. Okay, this book is set apart. God has spoken to us, and he's spoken to us in these last days through Jesus Christ. It is all about him. It's all pointing to him. Now, I want to specifically talk with you guys today about uh, the last days, okay? And I think we need to define that a little bit before we jump into that, okay? We're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh in the last days. Okay, that's a fulfillment of Joel, of Joel uh, chapter 2, verse 28. So we have Jesus coming, speaking, okay? He's done this thing. We are born again of what? The spirit of God. Okay, we know that the Spirit of God is doing what right now throughout the whole world? Convicting them of sin and of righteousness, of judgment. That's what he is doing. He's pouring out his Spirit. There's no one that has an excuse. Well, what if they haven't heard over there in Africa? Well, guess what? They don't, God doesn't need us. He's calling us to fulfill the Great Commission to go, but don't put God in a box. If he says that he is meeting with the whole world, convicting the whole world, convincing the whole world of truth, don't put my God in a box. We have a big God, and that's what he's saying he's doing, and he is. Man is without excuse, we're told in the scriptures. 
So the specific time, right now we have this general church age. Okay, We read that in Acts. That's what's going on. Also, there's a specific time of end days or the last or the last days itself. Let's take a read here in Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse 7. This is going to take place in the last days, and this is Jesus speaking. He, will, he tells us that nations, for nations will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So he's speaking about the last days here. Turn to 2 Timothy with me, chapter 3. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that there's going to be a great apostasy in the last days. We definitely see that. And then we read in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, we'll read the first five verses here. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to Timothy, and he tells him this in chapter 3, but know this, you should know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And now I want you guys to ask ourselves as we go through a description of what God says is going to be happening in the last days, I just want you guys to be honest. Do you see these things happening today in history, right now, where you live, okay? In the last days... Men will be lovers of themselves. How many of you guys have taken a selfie in the last week? Okay. Um, <laughs> I, want to, I want to expound on everyone. We'll have too much time. Lovers of money, <laughs> boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. You know, I know your kids aren't disobedient, but you can come hang out at the Churchill house for a little while. I'm thankful. Unholy. I'm just kidding. My kids aren't that bad. But anyways, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. There is a whole spirituality out there today, okay? Even within the church, okay? But are we really loving God more than ourselves? Lovers um, rather than lovers of God. And then verse 5 says, having this form of godliness and denying its power in this, um, and from such people, we should turn away. So this is what the Spirit of God is expressly saying will take place in the last days. Well, this is definitely happening right now. We also see in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, that in the last days, there will be scoffers concerning God's prophetic word. Okay? I talk with Christians. Most of the church, I want you guys to get this. Most of the Christian church, I don't know what they're doing. They don't want to talk about what we're talking about this morning. They dismiss it all together. Well, again, 27% of the Bible is prophecy. Really, church, you're willing to do away with a quarter of the scriptures because you don't want to deal with what God has to say. Or you don't want to believe what God has to say. Most of the Christian church are all millennialists. Do you know what that means? A millennialist, I believe, because I take the word of God literally, 
Okay? I'm a pre-tribulationist. I believe that Jesus is going to come back. That is a doctrine we can't deny as the church. It is very clear. Jesus said he's going to come again. Do we believe him? Absolutely. But there's a lot of the church that don't believe that he's going to come back and do what he said he's going to do. He said he's going to come and rule and reign. The government will be upon his shoulders. That's not happening right now. And he says it's going to be literally a thousand years long. That's what the Bible says. But a lot of Christians have done away with that. And because of that, they have to keep doing away with more and more and more scripture. This next week, Israel is going to celebrate their 70th year. God resurrected them. They're back in the land, guys. That is exciting. We are living in a time that the Bible speaks of so much. It is all over Scripture that God promised to bring them back. But a lot of these all-millennialists, they've bought into this replacement theology that God's done with Israel and the church is replaced we are the spiritual Israel, and we're in the millennium right now, and Jesus is ruling and reigning. Well, it sure doesn't look like it according to what I read when I read the Bible literally. That's why it's important, guys, that we rightly divide the word of truth. This is why it's important to take a morning like this and consider these things in Scripture, especially as we're seeing things happening right before our eyes. Now, sometimes the latter days in the scriptures is also called later years. Okay, we see that in Ezekiel 38, verse 8, and Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. And if you guys really want to unlock some neat things concerning the last days, the prophet Daniel, I think, is one of the most clearest uh, speaking about what's going to go down right before uh, the tribulation takes place. Now, question. How do we know that we're in the last days? Well, the Bible very clearly lays out events that will take place before the second coming of Christ. I don't like sensationalizing scripture. Like, oh, look what's happening over here in the Middle East. Or did you see what, what, the, what was on the news last night? Man, this is being Bible prophecy fulfilled, okay? I like looking at prophecy and looking back what actually has already happened. And we can point back and say, look, that's prophecy that is fulfilled. Okay, we're seeing a stage being set, but I've sat in a lot of prophecy conferences and heard from a lot of prophecy teachers who said, look, this is a direct fulfillment. This is happening. This is what's going to go down, but it didn't go down the way they said it was going to go down. Okay, they have a right heart. They take the word of God seriously. They take prophecy seriously. But I don't like sensationalizing scripture unless God speaks to it specifically, okay? I like looking and saying, hey, this has already happened. So that's what I want to do with you guys this morning. And the thing that's fun is we're living in a very unique time where Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, has been crazily fulfilled in the last hundred years. So one of the problems today is when we talk about prophecy, um, there's this newspaper exegesis that takes you know, any reading of major events that are taking place and they want to put it all into Bible prophecy. And we can't do that, okay? Because there's specific things that Jesus has outlined for us in fulfilling prophecy. Only if the current events fit the scriptures perfectly. I mean, perfectly. Not like, oh, here's part of it. You guys know last year with all the blood moons, 
Joel, man, I saw the Christian church just blow up. Books were being written. And I'm sitting here, well, you guys know me, I like context. <laughs> if we're going to look at prophecy about this, what's around that prophecy? Does it fit perfectly? No. And I had to tell my Christian friends, no, this is not the fulfillment of it because these other things have to happen together and it's not. This is not it. And we know that isn't because guess what? We're still here. Okay? Um, so Jesus is coming again for his church at any moment. This will happen before the tribulation period. Also, the world stage, it has been set for, in a certain way. Okay, It's really fun to consider it. Um, it's set up for the tribulation Okay, that it actually can take place. And the Bible predicts these pre-tribulational events will lead to the beginning of this great tribulation period that will begin with the coming world leader, which we read about, the Antichrist. He's going to come on the scene. He will confirm a covenant with the nations, right, for seven years. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. We're looking forward to that. I had a conversation yesterday uh, with somebody just how that is possible. We are in a place in the world, we're looking for peace. Okay, we're scared. More nukes. We're doing this. People are, you know, <laughs> in a place of looking to anybody, okay, to save them. We keep putting our hope in a president. If we just elect this person or that person, it's crazy that we're so willing just to embrace a human being. So for a person to come on the scene, the Antichrist, and say, hey, I got the solution. I can make everything better. That's what's going to happen. And I think the world's ready for that. Okay, Who's, who's going to make peace for us? And he's going to come promising a false peace. So when we're talking about the signs of the last days, we're talking about those events that are leading up to the second coming of Christ. Not the rapture of the church. You guys understand that? This is talking up to when Jesus is going to come again. The rapture has no signs. It's going to be uh, eminent at any time, at any moment. This event could happen right now. Or right now. Rapture could happen right now. Do you guys understand that? That's sticking exciting for me. That could happen at any time. Okay? And that doesn't necessarily kick off the tribulation either. I know some people teach it that way. If you believe that, I'd love to see scripture that says that. I haven't seen it in scripture. But let me tell you what, if the Christian church was taken, that, that salt and light, that preserving agent here on planet earth, if God took his church, guess what? Do you think the world would fall apart pretty quickly? And that they would really be screaming out for a savior? We want peace. Everything is a complete mess. We're all sons of Satan. That's all that's left here on earth. And we're just evil and everything's falling apart. Somebody save us. And that's why I think they'll embrace the Antichrist. But we don't know. Will that be a week later, a year later, 10 years? We're not sure. But we do see these things coming together quickly. Now, a key. Uh, when you see the signs of the second coming, you will get excited because you know the rapture is much closer. And again, if we're looking at Matthew chapter 24, I want you guys to catch this. We'll start looking at World Wars, okay? Um, World War I and World War II specifically. But I want to read the first eight verses to get our context here. 
Um, it says, Jesus went out and he departed from the temple. And his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. Don't you guys think that's weird? Do you think they already knew the temple was there? How many times have they been there? What's going on? I, I think the Holy Spirit actually moved the disciples to ask the questions that they ask here. Okay? Because I don't think these, and I'm thankful, I'm so thankful that this is in Scripture. Okay? And the Holy Spirit, I really believed, uh, moved them to ask. And Jesus said to them, Do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. That's pretty cool. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately then and said, Hey, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming. And I think this is really, because I don't know why they would even ask this question. That's why I think the Holy Spirit really moved the disciples in asking this question. And when is the end of the age? I mean, that's very specific. That's for you and I. And then Jesus answers them in verse 4 and said, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. God doesn't want our hearts to be troubled with these things. He loves, as we see these things shaken down as a Christian, I'm excited about what's happening in the world because I know I'm getting closer to getting home. I know Jesus is going to be coming soon and that's what this world needs. Okay, Don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled when you see these things come to pass. But the end is not yet, he tells us. He tells us, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus predicts in verse 1 and 2 here the destruction of the temple. I mean, this is the greatest building probably on the planet at the time. Okay, it was everything to the Jew. This is where we come to worship. This is where we meet with God. Look what we have built. It's beautiful. It's laced with gold everywhere, right? Um, and he tells them, hey, not one stone is going to be left upon another. And we know that the temple was destroyed, you know, a few decades later, just like Jesus said it would be. In 70 AD, General Titus comes in. It's a fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. It happened, guys. Every stone was toppled. The temple caught on fire. Okay? They were at war, and all the gold melted into the stones. And Titus said, hey, break them all apart. Get all the gold out. Not one stone left upon another. Prophecy fulfilled perfectly. And then the disciples' question that comes up in verse 3, when shall these things be? So the question is, what things? That's what we have to ask. Well, the destruction of the temple, that's the context here. What are you talking about? You guys can jot down the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 12 to 24. Also speak to this. And what shall be the sign of your coming? This is the next question. And then, what is the end of the world? What's the end of the world? world there um, for the, the age, the end of the world, the Greek is aeon, or what age will this happen? The ra rabbis, when they spoke, they, they would teach of two ages, okay? This age right now, and then the age to come. 
So that was the Jewish understanding mindset. So this age would be the now, age to come, is the messianic age, when the Messiah comes and rules and reigns. I also want you guys to note that in the Jewish mind, they only saw one coming of the Messiah. They've missed it. And that's why they're very confused when it comes to Bible prophecy. And it was to be established uh, when the Messiah would come, he would establish at that time his earthly kingdom, and he would rule from the throne of David. Okay, and we see those prophecies all through Psalms. Psalm 132 is one of the big ones, verses 11 and 12. We see that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. You guys know that scripture. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 32 and 33 speak all in to the Messiah ruling and reigning from the throne of David. It's all over scripture that he was going to do this. It's a fun study. Do it on your own, okay? But Jesus is talking here about the temple being destroyed that they thought would be uh, the end of the age. Thus, they were asking Jesus for a sign of the end of the age. Now, non-signs, okay? Verses 4 through 6 here. Uh, he, goes, uh, he goes through, and the first one he names is false messiahs. Okay, I've I got a huge list here. I'm not going to have time to go through this but just last month i think it was 25 uh years from david koresh you guys remember all that crazy in the early 90s you know i just can't believe that people followed that nut job and people still do that in north america alone there are over 1500 self-prescribed christs Okay? You're nuts. You're not the Messiah. But the crazier part that people actually follow these people is their disciples. That's the crazy part, guys. So it is definitely happening. We've seen it throughout history. More and more people are coming up. Um, anyways, false messiahs, you guys can do research on that. Wars, rumors of wars. So there's going to be local and regional wars are not a sign of the last days. That's just a part of this age. Do you guys understand that? Okay. 9-11. Okay. That was just a regional thing. U.S. war in Iraq. Okay. And Afghanistan. And the list can go on and on. Those are just regional things. Localized wars. It's not all nations. <laughs> Okay, coming against each other, but the end is not yet. So he says in verses 7 and 8 that there would be uh, the signs of the end of the age would be world wars. So for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So this word nation, it's cool in the Greek, ethnos or ethnic tribe, every people group every nation. It's used 164 times in Scripture. 93 times it's used as Gentile. 64 is nation. 5 is heathen. 2 is people. And then the kingdom, Basalia, it's the royal power or the dominion, the rule, the territory subject to the king. So the Hebrew idiom here for you and I would be, you know, this would be for world war, Right? All people. The Jews express the scope of the war by using these Hebrew idioms. Now we see in Scripture different wars. There was a civil war that's read about uh, in, in Israel and Judah 
Isaiah 19 lays that out. In 2 Chronicles 15, we have the whole Middle Eastern world coming together, and they're at war. That was the reforms under Asa. You guys may be familiar with that. Okay, um, so that was the Middle East there, but it's not all people. You see, Jesus says in the last days, this expression, nation against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, it was a Jewish idiom for a world conflict preceding the coming of the Messiah. That's the understanding here. Now, I got a bunch of rabbis I want to quote, but we don't have time for that. Um, but even if we take this context of what he is saying here, in Matthew 24, if you look closely, guys, we see that Jesus had global wars in view. Look at verse 9, he's speaking of all nations, right? Verse 14, speaking of the world, all nations. Verse 21, verses 30 and 31, what was his scope in the context of Matthew 24 and speaking into this? It's all peoples, <laughs> all nations. Because we read so much of the scriptures, what's the focus? It's Israel, right? No, the last days, this is going to be a worldwide event, okay, for all people. So it's key, okay, um, that Jesus said that the coming worldwide conflict or world war would be the first birth pang. And this is the one thing I want you guys to catch this morning as we go through this study, okay? He said that the world wars would be the first thing of these birth pangs that would take place in the last days. So the countdown has begun. Okay? Also, if you look at the end of verse 7, in diverse places, could refer really to all these signs, not just earthquakes. I hear a lot of Bible teachers teach that, hey, it's the earthquakes. See how much bigger they're getting and how more frequent they're getting. Yeah, that's to be part of it, but it's not just the earthquakes we watch. <laughs> we start by looking at, hey, the first thing you list, world wars. That should be one of the first things that we see in the last days taking place. And then we follow what's happening here. So World War I, anybody know when it began? 1914 to 1918, right? The U.S. media called it the war, uh, or this war, the World War, until World War II, when Time Magazine used the term World War I and World War II, okay, in 1938. So we had the Allies versus Central Powers, 65 million casualties, guys. Think about that. 65 million. I have a hard time grasping a million in my head. You know, think about 65 million people die. Would you guys say that's huge? That's massive, right? Bigger than most countries. So World War II was 1939 to 1945. So after World War I, most historians believe that World War II was really just a continuation. Okay, if you read history, they just consider it a continuation of World War I. So we have this massive World War I, um, 72 casualties, um, the Nazi Holocaust, who was led by Adolf Hitler, he killed 6 million Jews. Think about that. 6 million Jews. These are God's people. 6 million. Okay? So there would be world wars. Are there famines in the world today? Yeah, that's another thing that Jesus said. There would be famines. 1920, okay? So we're, you guys get in the time frame. I want you to catch. World War, 1914. <laughs> World War, just like Jesus said was going to happen. And then 1920, we have the Great Chinese Famine. 
1921, the Great Russian Famine. Was there a depression in America in the 20s? Okay, you guys see, this is a worldwide thing happening. Okay, currently, I'm quoting, famine, largest humanitarian crisis in history of the UN. That's what the, uh, the UN humanitarian chief said. 20 million people in Yemen, South Sudan, Somalia, Nigeria, they face starvation and famine, he said. This is the biggest crisis the UN is facing, is famine right now. What? Everything that could be going on, every concern, every worry, and you're telling me it's one of the things that Jesus said would be happening in the last days? Pretty cool. Anyways, the world faces, not cool that people are starving. That sucks. You guys know that? That's why we have a heart for the poor, the needy. Anyways, the world faces the largest humanitarian crisis, he also says, since the United Nations was founded in 1945, okay, with more than 20 million people in four countries at risk of self, or starvation and famine. He also said that. It's the biggest one since they even began in 45. And then we have the pestilences that he spoke of. Again, after World War I, okay, 19... 18, 19, 19, there were 50 to 100 million people killed by influenza. Okay, the Spanish flu. What? In the same time frame? Took out that many millions of people? Time Magazine said this in 1945, the worldwide 1918 to 19 influenza epidemic did not start until the end of the war. Typhus, uh, cholera, uh, relapse, sea fever, smallpox, uh, dysentery, and thyroid uh, devastated Eastern Europe. So after the uh, cessation of the hostilities of following this um, or disintegration of this, the established government over wide areas. So that's what Time Magazine said of that. And then you think currently, guys. Um, in my lifetime, I know when I was a kid, it's like almost every night, and they had specials and documentaries, and we were in school, taught about HIV and AIDS, and how it's destroying, killing millions of people, okay? Uh, the Ebola, and think about cancer. All of us have been hit by that, loved ones. I mean, it's just all over, guys. Um, we have biological and chemical weapons, you know? Syria is a great example of that. And then he goes on to talk about earthquakes then in different places. So during World War I, again, 1914 to 1918, um, in 1914, they saw a rise in earthquakes, okay? And there were some big ones. And I, I got a huge list here throughout the world. I mean, it was all over. Chile had a 7.6. Indonesia had a, a 7.6 and an 8.1 that year. Turkey, 7.0. Uh, in 1915, Italy got hit big, Japan, Nevada, a bunch of other people. 1916, we got Nicaragua, Nepal, Turkey again, Indonesia. 1917, they're starting to get bigger and there's more of them. Russia, the Kermadic Islands, wherever that is. Uh, Papua New Guinea, China, Mexico. Uh, but anyways, the list keeps going on. And it's just more and more big earthquakes. Again, just like Jesus said. This will be the beginning of sorrows. World war, <laughs> famine like crazy, crazy pestilences, 
earthquakes like crazy, but I want you to talk currently. Since World War I and World War II, there has been increasing frequency of these 8+. plus. You guys know when an earthquake gets bigger than 8+, plus and stuff? That's massive, okay? The magnitude of these earthquakes worldwide. Catch this. If you're good with numbers, you'll grasp and see the significance of how cool this is. But from 32 AD to 1999, okay, they estimated there were four in that amount of years, four over eight point, okay? So that would be point zero 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 four, okay? Zero, zero, four a year on average. Barely. Probably not going to happen, right? And then from 1000 to 1799, so an 18-year period now, or sorry, 800-year period, there were 19. So we moved up quite a bit. It's now 0.03. Okay? And then from 1800 to 1899, so just that 100 year period in there, they had 12. So that would work out to about 0.13. So there was a little bit of a rise. But then 1900 to 1999, so this is when the World War took place. This is when we see all these things happening that Jesus is speaking about. There's been 69. Guys, you go from 0.13 to the next 100 years, and you're looking at 0.69 of these massive earthquakes. Would you guys say that's a huge rise? That's crazy. You know, if you specifically look at 1900 to 1913, there were seven, okay? It got up to 0.53 just in that short time period. And then 1914 to 1918, there were five. During that time, specifically during the World Wars, that would have been 1.25 a year. It's not point anything now. It's 1.23 a year. 1939 to 45, it went up to 8 during that time, 1.33. Now, currently, guys, 2000 to 2009, there were 13, 1.3 again. 2010 to 2015, there was 8, so just in 5 years, that's up to 1.6. Would you guys say, say that is radically changing? We go from a 0.0004 to <laughs> 1.6 a year. So worldwide, guys, this surge in great earthquakes has been seen in the past 10 years. Jump online. Look at it for yourself, guys. They're happening all over, and they're getting bigger and bigger. So between 2004 and 2014, 18 earthquakes with the magnitude of 8 or greater uh, rattled uh, these subduction zones in the globe, that's an increase of 265% over the average rate of the previous century. 265% higher, guys. Wow. That's amazing. We saw 71 great quakes during that time. Um, I got a bunch of quotes from some different geophysicists that I do not have time to share. Um, but I also want you guys to note um, a lot of people are into this global warming stuff. Do you guys know that the global flood uh, that's recorded uh, for us in Genesis, okay, uh, speaks into radical change, and we have all these crazy polar caps as a result of that, but they're now melting, right? Which scientists uh, actually are saying that's probably the biggest cause to these greater earthquakes. I just think it's cool because it's just fulfilling Jesus' prophecy. I don't care how it's happening. 
I don't care how God knows it was going to go down and work out that way. It's just cool. It's happening just like Jesus said. Hey, these things will begin to happen. And when you see these things begin to happen, hey, these are the beginning of sorrows. You will know that it's the last days. Exciting stuff. So let's talk about the effects real quick of the world wars. Um, there was the establishment as a result of the world wars. We have the European Union, 1951. Europe at that time, you guys know it was in ruins. It was just thrashed. Rewarding uh, or redrawing uh, lines, borders for Europe during that time. Uh, it was the end of any European imperialism. Um, it was a catalyst really towards globalization. Okay. Uh, the political, cultural, the social order was drastically changed in Europe as a result of the world wars. Also in Asia, in Africa, things radically changed because of it. In um, areas outside um, of the war itself um, were affected big time too. So new countries were formed, old ones were abolished. Uh, international organizations were established and many new and old ideologies took a very firm hold in the mind of people because of these world wars, okay? Thinking radically changed. Also, we had the establishment of global organizations as a result of these wars. We all hear of the UN, right? Okay, 1945, they came together because of the world wars. We had the World Bank. We have the World Trade Organization, the International Monetary Fund. These huge organizations form. The Bible speaks of these things happen, that there would be a globalization taking place in such a manner. Well, these wars produced it. We think it would probably be more likely for that to happen today because we can actually communicate with the whole world a lot easier in the last couple decades <laughs> than previously. Okay, But these things are coming together. And I think it's really cool when we study Bible prophecy, we know that there's a lot of players in the Middle East. And do you guys know that before the world wars, there was no real establishment in the Middle East. Okay, Iran was founded in 1906 and then again in 1979. Turkey, 1922 after the war. Iraq in 1922. Egypt, 1922, Saudi Arabia, 1932, Lebanon, 1943, Syria, 1944, Jordan, in 1946, India, in 1947, Pakistan, in 1947, Israel, in 1948, as you guys know, right? May 14th, 1948. And that's really, well, let's take a look. You guys in Matthew 24 right now? Cool. Jump down to verse 32. I love these scriptures. Look at verse 32 to 34 with me here. Jesus is speaking about uh, the fig, uh, fig tree parable here, which is speaking of Israel. Look at verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When the branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves... Okay, when it buds and brings forth fruit, leaves, you will know that summer is near. So you also, or so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation that sees this happen, the fig tree being Israel, when they come to life, okay, when they sprout, when they bloom, okay, that generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place, okay. 
Um, so Jesus there is specifically speaking, hey, you need to watch. When you see Israel, the fig tree blossom once again, you need to know it's near. Okay, And that generation, they will see it. <laughs> that generation that sees that happen. Okay, I don't know if we have any in here who was born in 1948 or earlier. Go figure. <laughs> If you so, but think about that, guys. It's awesome. We see this happening. Um, all these countries in the Middle East being established. Uh, communist takeover of China and Eastern Europe took place. It was the beginning of the Cold War. Um, there's a lot of technological advancements that has taken place from there. Um, there's definitely a fear today of weapons of mass destruction. I talked with somebody last night about nuclear stuff going on. Um, yeah, we, like, I don't know. I, I think we have enough TNT to blow up the planet like a thousand times over. I, I don't know why we need more, but that's what they do. Um, so technologies such as nuclear fusion and electronic computers, jet engines, um, all appeared during this period. Think about that. During this period, it makes me think. You can jot down Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Okay? But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal up the book of this prophecy. Okay? Even to the time of the end, when many shall run to and fro. Okay? We see that happening in the world. I could jump on a plane and be across the world in half a day. It's awesome. Anyways, in knowledge shall be increased. So God spoke to Daniel, like, hey, the words of these prophecies, which are end-time prophecies, last-day prophecies, close them up. Because at that time, knowledge is going to increase. And you guys think about how much knowledge we have today compared to history as a whole. I mean, all the information and all that we know in this little slice of history compared to the 6,000 years of human history. It's amazing, just like Daniel said. Also, we see the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. And I'm really excited about this. Jerusalem was liberated in 1917. Yeah, 1917. Um, I'll give a little background on this. Um, Jerusalem was under the Muslim rule since uh, 638 AD. Okay, so Jerusalem. Muslims were in control. But they're liberated in 1917 under General uh, Allenby. The Battle of Jerusalem, it's called. On December 8th, General Allenby sent the 14th Squadron to fly over Jerusalem on reconnaissance mission to find out where their garrisons were Okay, and what type of strength they had. So the planes, they flew low overhead, and the Turks realized their holy shrines and temples could get bombed. So you know what they said? Let's withdraw. We don't want that to happen to our holy places. Okay, um, And then that happened on December 9th, and then the city was surrendered without a shot being fired within the city to Allenby, um, and they entered into the city on December 11th. Isn't that pretty cool? You know? And then we see in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 5, is birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem, defending also he will deliver it, and passing over he will preserve it. And again, that's a cool verse if you look at the context of what Isaiah is speaking about there in Isaiah 31. Now the text of the decree of the surrender of Jerusalem into British control. 
So due to the uh, severity of the siege of the city and suffering that this peaceful country has endured from your heavy guns and for the fear of those deadly bombs that will hit these holy places, we are forced to hand over to you the city through Hussein Bey al-Husani, the mayor of Jerusalem, hoping that you will protect Jerusalem the way you have protected it for more than 500 years. And then we have the Balfour Declaration. The British government Balfour Declaration in 1917 endorsed the creation of the Jewish homeland in Israel, which was adopted by the League of Nations in 1922. So you guys see in the time frame again, of these things happening. So the world wars provided this impetus for the growth of this Zionist movement. Think about how God is using world wars to establish his people and to fulfill his prophetic word. That's exciting, guys. Now, the key thing we want to catch is the liberation then of Jerusalem during World War I and the Nazi Holocaust and the destruction of the Jewish life in Central and Eastern Europe in World War II, Zionism became the dominant or dominant in the minds of the Jew or the Jews of the day to establish a Jewish state. They wanted a homeland. That is what was going on with them. So there's a reestablishment of the nation of Israel that takes place. And there are two worldwide gatherings. I don't know if you studied this out at length, but in uh, Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verse 11, to chapter 12, verse 6, there are two worldwide gatherings that are spoken of the Jewish people. Okay? And we need to catch that. It helps us make sense of what's shaking out here in the last days. So the scope of these regatherings, we're told, is going to be a worldwide thing. It's not like, oh, they're over in this country and they're just going to come <laughs> over here. No, they're going to come from all over. Okay, It tells us there in Isaiah, they're going to come from, four, or from the four corners of the earth. So from all over the earth. And in context, guys, the number of regatherings is only two. So Isaiah is speaking of a final world, world, uh, worldwide regathering in faith and preparation for the messianic kingdom the second time. I also want you guys to note that this is not to refer to their return from Babylon. Okay? It can't be speaking of that because it was not an international regathering. I read a couple commentators that said that would have been the first one that Isaiah would have been speaking to and stuff. They weren't coming from the four corners of the world, from all over. Okay? That was specifically from one place, from Babylon back to their own country. Also, there cannot be multiple worldwide regatherings. There only can be two. Okay? Thus, the regathering today is the first regathering and then the fulfillment of this Bible prophecy. So the gathering is going to happen really in unbelief if we study out what the prophets are saying of the days leading up okay, to the tribulation. And I believe that's where we are right now. Would you guys say that there's an unbelief? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're talking about the craziness. I got to hang out with some of the youth uh, boys this weekend. And we were just talking. We went over to the park that's near my house and we were shooting some hoops yesterday. And we were just talking how I can't let my kids, when I was their age, I could go to the park by myself. You know? And things have so radically changed. And we began to discuss a little bit, well, what's changed? Well, 
We've rejected God. You know, They're, we're just in rebellion. That's why things have gotten so evil that we can't just live. You know, we're turning our back. It was 1957 that we kicked Bibles out of schools. What a bummer. But you look at how much things have changed because of that. Of course, we say there's no God. We're going to act like animals. Anyways, you guys know that. But anyways, the point is, the prophecies speak to an unbelief before the tribulation. Daniel 9.27 speaks to that, right? We're willing to make a covenant agreement with the Antichrist for peace because there is no peace, okay? So that's not a belief in God. We're willing to worship a man, a man who's possessed by Satan? <laughs> really? That's what's going to happen, guys. Would you guys say that's unbelief? Absolutely, right? Zephaniah chapter uh, 1, verse 7 to 18. Um, the first two verses in Zephaniah speak to... Actually, let me read those real quick to you. Sorry, there's so many cool prophecies. Um, yeah, you guys can read chapter 1 on your own. I just want to read the first two here. It's a call that God gives to the people. Zephaniah chapter 2, he says, Gather yourselves together. Yes, together. Oh, undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. So God is calling his people in context here. Hey, why this unbelief? You know, I'm going to come, I'm going to establish, I'm going to do this. And you're unbelieving in these days, these last days. You need to repent. You need to turn to me. So the number um, we see here of prophecies, they're just full of them. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 24. Um, yeah, 37, 11 to 14. Isaiah 11, 11 to 12, which you just considered again. Okay, the dispersed of Judah, calling them back from all four corners of the world. Uh, Zechariah. How many of you guys are familiar with Zechariah 12? Just raise your hand. Okay, let's all turn to Zechariah 12 then. Handful of you guys are familiar with this passage. It's going to be right towards the end of the Old Testament. Second to the last book. Zechariah chapter 12. I'm going to read it because it's just so cool. Talks about the future deliverance of God's people. It's on page 817. So, check this out. Zechariah 12. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. And this says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness or trembling to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege of Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, Have, Has Jerusalem become a cup of trembling, guys? Absolutely. The UN says they spend more time on dealing with Israel and all the infighting and issues there. <laughs> Just this one little nation than anything else that they do. It's crazy. And it shall happen that in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all peoples, and all who would heave it away surely will be cut to pieces, though the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. And really it is. 
There's one nation that stands with Israel consistently. You know who that is? U.S., US right? Okay. There was a promise given Okay, prophetically. The prophetic word is found. You guys understand how cool the Bible is, prophetically speaking, all the way back in Genesis 12. Wasn't God speaking to Abraham prophetically? Through you, the Messiah will come and be a blessing to all peoples. That was a promise. All peoples through his seed. Prophetically speaking, why did I bring up Abraham though? I don't remember now. It's just cool. Anyways, all nations. Oh, yeah. The Abraham. And those who bless you, Israel, I will bless them. And those that curse you, I will curse. Why are we the most blessed nation in the world? I think there's only one reason. We've chosen to stand with Israel. But in the last days, all nations will turn aside. I know previous presidents promised that we would move our embassy to Jerusalem. Okay? It's cool that our current president actually did that. Okay? We had our previous president was the first president in our history to threaten Israel. We will turn against them. Because what does the Bible say? All nations. And that's the way we're going, guys. It will happen. But I believe that God's extended mercy upon us in grace. I think this is one of the reasons why. But the second we turn, watch, guys. Um, anyways, what verse are we in? Four. Sorry, I got my little print Bible. Okay, and in that day, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion, the rider with madness, and I will open the eyes of the house of Judah, and I will strike every horse and the peoples with blindness, and the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitant of Jerusalem are my strength, and in the Lord of hosts, their God. And in that day I will make the governors of Judah like a firepan, and in a woodpile, and like furious torch in the sheaves, and they shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place." Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? And then the Lord will save the tents of Judah first in the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they shall become greater than that of Judah in the days or in that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the one who is feeble among them in that day like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against her. And I'll catch this, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Isn't that so cool? And then they will look upon me. This is God speaking, right? They will look upon me whom they pierced. What? Show this to your Jewish friends. When was your God pierced? Okay, right? Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And in that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo and in the land shall mourn every family by itself and every family in the house of David itself and their wives and themselves and their families and their house and Nathan by itself and the wives by themselves. And it goes on, but the point is they're finally going to see, oh, wow, we missed it. 
Okay, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. We know about the uh, abomination of desolation. He's going to sacrifice there in the temple a pig okay, on the altar. Daniel speaks into that. Their eyes are going to be open. And when Christ returns and stands on the Mount of Olives, okay, we were talking about earthquakes before, we're told in prophecy that it's going to split open wide. And there's a fault line that runs perfectly and it's going to split in half, and he's going to stand there, and the Jews are finally going to see Jesus for who he is. Anyways, I got so much I want to share with you guys, and we're already out of time. Man. All right, here we go. Um, I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff, but the point we need to see is there's going to be restoration in the land, okay? Big point. In the regathering, it's in faith. Okay? It's after tribulation. Something I also want you guys to catch as we consider these prophecies. Ezekiel 20, verse 33 to 38, and again, Zephaniah 1 and 2. Okay? They were gathered out of wrath, and they're gathered for what? Wrath. And we've seen that happen. Okay? Gathered out of wrath, holocaust, gathered for wrath, the tribulation. So the regathering in faith after the tribulation, the second coming, impressed in preparation for what? The blessing, the Messiah coming, returning. And then there's the restoration of the land. And this is really what I wanted to preach this morning, is the 7th anniversary of Jesus, or of, the, of Israel. Um, Ezekiel 36, we don't have time to go through it. I wanted to go through this whole chapter with you guys. Um, but just breaking it down real quick, it's the prophecy of the land of Israel, the first 15 verses. You guys can read that later. God's angry because the land was made desolate by the nations that were inhabited in Israel. That would be the context of it. The nations also around Israel will bear their shame because God is going to restore it for his people. We see that in verses 6 to 15. Jot down Isaiah chapter 27, verse 6. Israel shall blossom a bud, okay, and will fill the world with fruit. They're one of the lead exporters in the world. They were desolate, desert, fulfillment right there. Okay, Ezekiel speaks into that explanation of the diaspora, uh, verses 16 to 21, prophecy of the house of Israel then, if you jump all the way down to verse 22 to 38. So there's a restoration of the nation, okay? Um, and he does it for his namesake. Also a promise of regeneration of the nation. And then if you get in to chapter 37, you see the resurrection of the nation of Israel. You guys have read, we don't have time to read it, but it's where it speaks about the valley of dry bones. You guys familiar with that, right? Okay, yeah, that's exactly what Jerusalem, Israel was. It was dry, it was dead, okay? I'm gonna call them out of their graves. So this prophecy of the first restoration in unbelief, these dry bones, and then this, it goes on to talk about him taking them from the grave in verses 11 to 14 to bring them back to the land. Now, you guys can just hold on for five minutes. I want to give a little bit of history because this is what I've studied mostly this week. Is what, this is the part that I've <laughs> dove into. Um, during World War II, okay, so 1939 to 45, the Nazi uh, regime deliberately carried out systematic plans to liquidate the Jewish community of Europe. Okay? In the course of which some six million Jews, including a million and a half kids during this time. They were children, too, that were killed, uh, murdered, I should say. Um, as the, the Nazi army swept through Europe, Jews were savagely persecuting, subjecting, torturing, humiliation. 
uh, herded these people into ghettos. Uh, any attempts of armed resistance led to uh, harsher measures for people. And from these ghettos, they would transport these Jews to uh, concentration camps where a fortunate few maybe got the opportunity to work hard labor uh, instead of being killed. Um, but most were just shot, mass executions, or put to death in those gas chambers. Not many managed to escape. Some fled to other countries. A few joined the partisans, and others were hidden by non-Jews who did not at uh, risk of their own lives. So consequently, only one-third, including those who had left Europe before the war, survived out of that population of almost 9 million. Think about that, which led uh, really to the once constituted the largest and most vibrant Jewish community in the world. So after the war, the Arab opposition uh, led uh, Britain, the British, to intensify their restrictions to the number of Jews that would be permitted to enter and settle the land. So the Jewish uh, community responded by instituting a network of illegal immigration activities to rescue the Holocaust survivors. So between 1945 and 1948, there were some 85,000 Jews that were brought to land by secret, okay? Snuck in. Um, often dangerous routes in spite of these British naval blockades and border patrols that they put up to intercept these refugees before they reached the country. So those who were caught uh, were interned to different uh, destination camps um, on the island of Cyprus or they returned to Europe. But on this road to independence, Britain's inability then to reconcile, uh, reconcile the conflicting demands of the Jewish in the Arab communities led the government to request uh, the question of Palestine be placed on the agenda. This is where it gets cool during the next United Nations General Assembly that was going to take place in April of 1947. So as a result, a special committee was constituted to draft different proposals. This is what we can do. This is how it can look. Okay, um, get, They gave the plan. It was only... Um, the Arabs, of course, rejected it. But following the UN vote, local Arab militants, okay, their, their proposal was to make two states, one for the Jewish and the Arabs. The Arabs didn't want it, okay? So following the UN vote, that was what was proposed to them. Local Arab militants aided a random volunteers from Arab countries, launched violent attacks against the Jewish community in an effort to frustrate um, this partition of resolution to prevent the establishment of the Jewish state. So skipping a bunch, there were no number of setbacks, but Jewish defense organizations rooted most of the attack forces taking hold of the entire area which was allocated for the Jewish state. Thus, the resurrection of the state of Israel on May 14th of 1948. Okay, so that's kind of how that came about. So on that day, which the British mandate over the Palestine expired, the Jewish People's Council gathered in Tel Aviv Museum, and they approved the following proclamation declaring the establishment of the state of Israel. So the new state was recognized that night by us, the United States, and then three days later, the USSR. Okay, so in the text, you guys can read it online. It's really good. The de Declaration of Establishment of the State of Israel. 
Check it out. It's a fun read. I don't have time to share on it. But the Jewish population of the land, about 650,000 people. So a key for you and I to understand in this is never before in history has there been a people that have been scattered to different countries and retained a national identity. It's never happened. But God prophesied that it would happen. And here we are living right now today, and we can see the fulfillment of that taking place. And then there's the War of Independence. Less than 24 hours later, Egypt, Jordan, uh, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq invaded the country. I don't have time to go into it, but the second they're established, they're getting attacked. Okay, God showed up on their behalf. Okay, they had a new, newly formed Israel, newly formed defense division. Um, uh, their, their forces, uh, only 6,000 people, but they had 15, or not, had more than 6,000 people, but uh, 15 months of fighting. They ended up killing 6,000 Jews during that time to hold their land. Okay, it's crazy. Start a, you know, regathered nations there, and what are we going to do? We're going to be at war for the first 15 months, right? So during the first month of then 1949, direct negotiations were conducted by the UN to negotiate um, things to bring a solution to the fighting. So I'm skipping a lot, but anyways, it's really cool to see how their independence came together here. And some 50,000 newcomers, mainly Holocaust survivors, shortly after that, after the war, had come back to Israel immediately. And by the end of 1951, guys, there was 6,800 or 87,000 men, women, and children who arrived, over 300,000 of them being refugees from Arab uh, lands, which doubled the population. You guys see how quickly that happened? You know? And God said he would gather from four corners of the earth. Okay, I've talked with Jews, okay, here stateside. I don't know, but I feel like I need to move to Israel. They can't explain it. There's just something in them. They have this desire, and people from all over the world are coming. Anyways, there's a lot more, but that's about it. Reasons Jerusalem had to come under Jewish control before the tribulation. Well, the Antichrist had to make, amen, or a question? Just one thing to add in for everybody you Mm-hmm. And going back to how they were one of the first ones to back the Israelites becoming a state again, yep. the prayer for Russia is a very relevant and real thing that can instantly change their hearts because at their roots is still what happened 60 years ago. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Got a lot of missionary friends over there too. They're in need of the gospel. Communism sucks. Um, <laughs> God came to set us free, right? Yeah. But anyways, I want you guys just to catch in closing reasons Jerusalem had to come under Jewish control before the tribulation. Um, the Antichrist has to come and make a covenant in Israel. You know, all these things play out. Um, again, you know, spend some time in Revelation 11. Read the whole of Matthew 24 here. Um, speaks about the mountains of Israel in Ezekiel 37, 22. Okay, that's been established. They got the west sides, the Arabs got the east side. So those prophecies actually can be fulfilled. Um, I wanted to go through all the events of the Six-Day War that happened in 1967, but we don't have time to do that either. Um, but the countdown's begun, okay? 
turn to Luke 21 with me. I would just want to close with a couple scriptures here. I wish we had another hour. <laughs> but it's cool. God has spoken over and over again what he would do in the last days. It's the facts, guys. We're not making this stuff up. It's just like Jesus said was going to happen. Okay, There in Matthew 24, we read the prophets. Israel is back in the land. Israel's kind of been that you know, centerpiece for Bible prophecy. Okay, I, I enjoy reading older commentators. And there were commentators uh, before 1948 who said, hey, the Lord can't come back because Israel's not in the land. Okay? They saw it for what the word said. They understood that that was going to be key. Which I want to encourage you guys. Again, let not your hearts be troubled. Look at Luke 21, verse 25. Okay? The countdown has begun, but Jesus says this, And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and on the earth the stress of nations and perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now, when you see these things begin to happen, what are we to do? Look up, right? Lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. You guys know we're nearer than we ever have been before. That's pretty exciting. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are thankful and grateful. God, that you are faithful. You're faithful to your word. God, we are so thankful for your prophetic word. God, you don't want our hearts to be troubled. Lord, we do see these things shaking out and you've asked us to look to you. We want to do that well. We want our hearts to be stirred up. Father, this is a great hope we have as Christians. We know that you are coming again. We know the hour is getting late. We don't know how much time we exactly have. Lord, but in that hope, I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself that we would find a boldness to speak the truth, to share you with others, God. That we would find encouragement ourselves, Lord. We thank you so much for all that you're doing. And we do pray for Russia. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We just pray for all nations, all people, every tribe, tongue, and nation, that they would all, Father, come to you. So our brother read earlier that every knee would bow. It's your name, Jesus. We're so thankful for your holy name. Come quickly, we ask in your name. Amen? Amen. Amen.